I'm Jakub Woigt, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled. Join me as we explore how technology can make your business better. In this episode, we're chatting about data centers. We're chatting about what data centers are, why you would take your business infrastructure there, and what the common mistakes are that you can make when deciding to, to pick a partner. By the end of this episode, you'll have a clearer idea of the items that you need to consider when going into a data center. I'm joined by Nils Gestel, Gestel from Collaboratix. Nils, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So we always start the show by just uh, sharing a little bit of background. How did you get to uh, where you are today in the seat? Wow, that's a, a very long story. So I've been in the technology industry for about 25 years now. Started a, um, actually as a, as a call center technician uh, and a trainer many moons ago for a company that did fuel pump software. Wow. And then moved on from there to, to uh, a company called Mortgage SA back then, which has now been rebranded to Uber. Um, looked after their uh, internal network for a very long time and built a, a few data centers for them as well as was part of the very first uh, IPNet installation that we did for their, for their business many moons ago. And then from there on, moved on to Terraco. Terraco uh, built the first Terraco in, in uh, Cape Town in Great Westerford. And then after that, decided to open my own business. And that's where Collaboratic started some 12 years ago. And and uh, just for context, Terraco is a, is a data center business. Correct. And I think in, in South African terms, um, uh, quite iconic because, I mean, they were pioneers and, and uh, yeah, built Correct. a great business. So, so back, back in those years, um, they were the pioneer in what was what's known as um, co-location facilities, but specifically vendor-neutral co-location facilities. So there's a difference between your traditional co-location, which is basically uh, renting cabinets inside a data center. You'll hear me say the word cabinet often. I'm a traditionalist. A, a, <laughs> a cabinet is really what you have in a data center, not not uh, a rack. A rack is a cabinet without doors uh, <laughs> from the telecommunication side. Um, and so the vendor neutral side of it was very is very was very important. It was actually something that had been done overseas for many years. Um, and Terraco basically broke that open in the South African context, enticing multiple carriers into one facility and thereby giving the customer choice as to which carrier they wanted to connect to, rather than bundling um, the, the, the cabinet space as well as the, the connectivity as one service to the customer. So, so um, we, we digress a bit, but I think this is so, so interesting. So before that, before the Terraco uh, vendor neutral op- option was available, yes. what did people so do? So what you would have is you'd be you'd be in, for instance, in an uh, in, in let's rather not use names, but in a particular brand you name. You can say Telcom or MTN. It was a big telcos. Pre- precisely. Let's take ta- Telcom is a good example, probably. Um, and you would you would buy the space, but you would also buy your connectivity from them. So the cabinet can the cabinet together with the connectivity was a bundled service. Your problem there was that if you didn't like the the carrier, you were stuck because you'd moved all your equipment in. And as we, I think we discussed this last time as well, is the challenge is you can't just forklift your equipment out um, if the, if the if the carrier is not working for you. And if you're stuck with like a, a telecom as a service provider, and you're not happy with either the rates or the way that they do their bundling um, of of connectivity, then you're stuck. Well, they basically, uh, yeah, the mentality was they they monopolized and dictated what you can cons- consume and how you would consume it. It was crazy 100%, times. Hundred percent right. So um and. Uh, on the cabinet versus rack scenario, yes. I'm I'm very happy because I think uh, um, I speak about it a lot that we have these sort of generic terms in our industry and it can t- end up being uh, quite confusing. So we're going to unpack a few of those. Great. So okay, so let's start at the start. Um, in your words, what is a, d- a, a, d- a data center? Right. And then um, we'll go. Okay, right. Why would you then go? But how would you? Because you know sometimes uh, a business can have a computer room. And then the guy would say, this is my data center. So <laughs> yes, exactly. are we, are we, am I being uh, nitpicky uh, no, now? No, I think you're 100% right. So uh, we also have to be cognizant of the fact that one man's uh, shack is another man's castle, <laughs> which is not untrue in terms of the data center market either. But traditionally, a data center is, is obviously something that is larger than a computer room. So where is that break point? So there's two ways to look at it. One way to look at it is to look at it in terms of the power consumption. And the other way to look at it is in the number of cabinets that you have in said facility. So 
a, a data center probably starts, and I say probably probably because it depends here on cabinet density um, in terms of power consumption. Somewhere between 25 and 30 cabinets, you can start calling your facility an actual data center. Anything less than that is either an, a, a computer room or a network room or a server room. <laughs> Forbid the term. There we go. Yeah. So, um, all the all, all the terms we know. And and traditionally, you know, as far as a co location facility is concerned, and maybe we need to sort of just explain what a co location yeah. facility is Please. as well. Um, so co location means. Basically, the, the vendor that you're with is actually selling you cabinet space. They provide the infrastructure and you pay a monthly uh, rental for that space and you don't have to do all that nasty stuff yourself. So you don't have to worry about power, uh, UPSs, maintenance, connectivity, fire suppression, all that type of stuff. That's all taken care of by the provider. Um, all you worry about is your equipment inside your cabinet. Okay. So that's a co-location provider. Now, traditionally, uh, co-location providers are anything 50 cabinets and upwards. Okay. And then you get many differentiations there as well. So this expands right up to the hyperscale type environment where you could have as much as a thousand within one, one cabinets within one facility and even more than that. So we see some of these hyperscale facilities growing uh, even in the South African context um, where you have 30, 40, 50, 60 megawatts in size. Okay, so that's pretty large. Some of the smaller facilities to give you sort of an idea. Um, most cabinets or most co-location providers will provide you with anywhere between 3 kVA and 5 kVA per cabinet. Um, that would mean that a facility that is maybe 250 cabinets is about a one megawatt facility. So 60 megawatts gives you an idea of how large it is. It's huge. So, so and, and I guess uh, if I read between the lines here, um, we're we actually going on to that question now, but uh, power is the name of the game there. Look, you can't have power without, without cooling. So power and cooling sort of fall hand in hand with each other. But yes, essentially, power obviously is, is the lifeblood of the facility. Everything runs on it. Everything is governed by it. And uh, which makes uh, our current days and times in South Africa quite an interesting um, topic. True. So why would I go and take my business infrastructure and go put it into a data center? So economies of scale would probably be the first term we would, we would, we would look at. Economies of scale, why? <clears throat> because in order to get that type of or that level of hosting ability within any facility, um, you would need to employ experts. You'd have to lay out a serious amount of capital depending on obviously the size of facility that you need. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things that go with it. Sometimes, especially in the financial industry, there are compliance issues that you need to comply with. Um, or compliance things that you need to comply with, which leads to compliance issues. Um, so, um, which means that it becomes even more expensive to actually implement for by yourself. The other issue is as well is the elasticity of it. So, you when I say elasticity, I mean fl flexibility. So, with a co-location facility, traditionally, you would have the ability to grow with or it can grow grow with your 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 business rather than you having to continually upgrade your your facility your homegrown facility as it were so um but without compromising service of course and um resilience there is is the key you'll hear me say the word resilience often i never talk about um fail over or or, or things like that or, or um what people like to call fault tolerant um it's it's a it's a resilience factor because resiliency really means what is that facility able to withstand, whether it comes to power, whether it comes to intrusion. Uh, that's the security side of things, physical security, um, and of course fire suppression and that type of thing as well. So so um, I think to for me to take a, take it a step back um, and uh, let's let's use the, that S word, the server room. Right. So traditionally, what a business would do is they have server infrastructure that they need to run and then in their office where they are they would build a room correct um where they could put racks or cabinets right um most probably racks yes most um, probably racks. <laughs> and then uh, because that's sort of what you had to do it was part correct. and parcel of your business and then 
Then now comes all of those resilience factors like um, you've got to put an aircon in there, that right. aircon has to be, to be serviced, and then you forgot because you don't, you don't really know about it that, uh, you know, the, the, it poses a fire danger, so you need to have fire suppression. And then you need to be able to to back it up with uh, UPS power, and then that UPS needs to be backed up by generator power. Correct. And so as you go along, uh, it just becomes – and in, and in I think the most um, – Difficult component, uh, which you, you actually said earlier, is is then you have to have people to to manage it, to look after that. So when you look at this, uh, so so would it be then fair to say I'm taking all of that um, underlying in infrastructure and I'm outsourcing that to a specialist provider? Hundred percent right. So <clears throat> it's it, it is like an outsourced model essentially, but it's an out outsourced model with with um, greater benefits because. I like to look at the co-location data center more as a not not so much just as a as a as a facility or a provider of facility services, but rather also um, as a digital marketplace. Actually, so not ah. all co-location centers operate like this, but um, examples of this type of infrastructure would uh, or this type of thing would probably be something like uh, Terraco's Nap Africa, where you have additional peering services and the benefit of peering inside the facility, which obviously saves an enormous amount in terms of your international and even local traffic, of course. Um, it also speeds up connectivity in between between you and other, other um, companies that are hosted within that same environment. So, um, so coming back to what I was saying about it being a lot more flexible and actually offering you additional, um, how should I say, value is you, 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 we're literally removing the entire headache that you have when it comes to hosting. And, and maybe the right way of saying it is to say you focus on your core competence because as a fintech or as a, as a bank or whichever, you, your, your core competence is not looking after data centers. Although if we look at the banks of yesteryears, they used to be the ones at the, in, the, in the leading area of, of data centers yes, or computer yeah. rooms for that matter. Yes. Uh, banks and, and telcos, of course. So, so that means you need to employ an enormous amount of uh, um, experts, both from a facility perspective, that's looking after the infrastructure side, and obviously from a maintenance perspective, um, looking after the bits and bobs inside, you have to have access control, all these type of things. And when it's internal like that, the only benefit that you would gain um, by having it on site would be um, from a perspective of being able to employ your standards. Obviously, if you're going to host in another facility or in a co-location facility, you are subject to their standards. So that might be cabinets that are only at 42 use height or 47 use height, and you might not even need those extra five use. So, um, and and um, this is where it starts getting interesting because you and I had a, had a very interesting conversation about this recently. So when I, um, w when I now decide to take my infrastructure into a DC facility or into a DC provider, what, what should I then typically be, be looking at? Because you right. spoke about now my standards or the facility standards and all that type of stuff. And I think the reality is, is again, you know, like in our industry, people can, can throw around um, term, terminologies and right. certifications and stuff like that. True. But um, I might not even know if I really need that, uh, but it does come at a cost. So, so what should I be looking for when I now decide, okay, right, I need to outsource this uh, localized headache of mine? <laughs> so so I, the first part of call is really you need to understand what it is that your business actually needs as far as that, those services are concerned. Like you quite rightly said, there are an enormous amount of value adds that uh, certain co-location providers um, bring to the table, but you might not actually need them. This is very much the same argument when it comes to tiering. So I'll unpack that in a moment. Yeah. So people like to say, what is it? Is it a tier one, a tier three, a tier four data oh. center? And everyone loves these conversations. But at the end of the day, is that really what the customer needs? Um, so you need to understand your business and you need to understand what level of resilience your, your business actually requires. Do you need access to this place 24-7? Um, will you... How much power will you be consuming? Do you do you have dual corded equipment? That's a fancy word for saying, do you need an A and a B, B, B feed to your equipment? 
Um, do you really care whether there's one generator or whether there are two generators? How easily can you get to this facility? Um, you know, it doesn't help us if it's somewhere out in the sticks and it takes my technicians six hours to drive there because it's traffic during peak hour um, and uh, I can't get to the facility. All these questions you need to answer. But long story short is, Yako, I, there is there is no one size fits all. It really comes down to understanding your own business mm. and understanding what the requirements are, not just from an equipment perspective, but from a longevity perspective as well. We have this, the, uh, the right way of looking at it probably is to say we have this endless sine wave. <laughs> all right. Yes. So this endless sine wave that I mean is, if we go if we go back to go back to technology from from yesteryear and I'm I'm talking 20 30 years back we were talking mainframe systems where we had terminals our limitation there was proximity to that mainframe so the distance between the terminal and the mainframe was limited because we couldn't have that in the next city or in the next uh, whatever next office building it had to be very local so that was our limitation. So that my people can work faster. Correct. So your people can work faster, and also, yeah, you, it, the physical limitation of the of the actual uh, technology was that it had to be in the same building. Let's okay. say, right. From there, we had the client server module, which kind of uh, model, which kind of broke open somewhere in the mid nineties. Um, where we all had a server in our offices and we started to all have central file storage and central email servers and all this wonderful stuff that telcos were sort of helping us with just before. And uh, then the industry exploded after that. And so we saw a lot of people moving away from the mainframe system or mainframe systems purely because they could offload some of that computing power onto the local desktop side. That model changed. Then we started with clustering. And this model and, and a cluster is really actually a mainframe system, if you if you think about it, um, with dumb terminals at the end yeah. because you you're actually accessing those clusters through through applications, right? So this model continues throughout our, our entire let's call it technology spectrum, as it were, yes. and is is available and changes really in terms of the speed of processing power um, and storage density. And also connectivity and connectivity speed and cost. So the reason that we're actually able to even engage in these new big data centers that we're talking about and where com companies are actually able to even look at moving their equipment to these data centers is because connectivity has become considerably more, more uh, less expensive and is a lot more accessible and um, latency is a lot less. I mean, if you think of some of these um, BRI, ISDN lines from, from 10, 15, <laughs> 20 years ago, um, where we could barely push like 64K down a pipe, um, and that was considered stable back then, um, we, we're now moving in excess of, of uh, mega and gigabytes yes. um, and down, that, and down those pipes, which means I, I am no longer locked in by the locale of it. So... Coming back to that goes back to your business and understanding how close do I need to be to this content? How close, and that content might mean the the likes of your Netflix and those type of streaming providers, or actually as a business, how, how much latency can I deal with in my business? Um, a good example of that is, uh, let's say, the credit card processing industry, where, you've, where they have uh, what's known as the PCI DSS compliance and where the data centers have to have those type of standards behind them in order to be able to host in those facilities. But you standing at the pick and pay at the till, you don't want to wait five minutes for the notification to come back that the check has been done that actually pick and pay can debit your account. You want that to be as instant as possible. I think sort of after second 10, people start getting yeah. nervous and embarrassed. Yes. yes. So all these things play a factor. In terms of in determining what sort of data center you need is actually right for you as a business, um, and also um, in terms of what cost you're willing to pay. So they, that brings us to another conversation as well. Um, depending on the type of co-location provider that you've gone with, you can actually start reserving cabinets um, in the same row that you're at. So companies that don't do that, for example, might find themselves being in row 17, 18, 422, and in data center 67, um, and have their equipment distributed so, so Which far Which adds then a, a whole lot of complexity in terms of how you manage that. 100%, because now you're introducing risk with every interconnection, there's a risk. 
So, so forward planning is a huge conversation here. And um, I think we, we had that conversation talking about we need to begin with what is actually our technology strategy as a business. And this is where the big disjunct comes in because yeah. IT, strategy, commercial, marketing, and sales, they don't talk the same language. Yes. So, so I, I always say IT doesn't move at the speed of business. Quite right. We're, it's got to slow it down, you know, quite and right. business wants to, wants to move. Correct. Um, so, so on that note, uh, um, and, and um, you know, sort of this endless cycle, um, it reminds me now I was in, in uh, the States in 2009 and there was a guy that, that uh, spoke specifically around that where the analogy that he used was, uh, you know, uh, in the 1700s, yes. everybody lived close to a stream and had a water wheel and the water wheel uh, ground the, the, the maize and provided water and all that type of stuff. And then then as you that society evolves, then you, then you, you get a centralized utility provider and you outsource everything to that. Yes. And then at some point in time, you get too dependent on it um, and then you, you – take it uh, back in us, which yes. is, uh, I mean, ironically is what's happening with, with our power supply. Uh, 100% now. the same thing. So, yes. So, so, and in this, in this, um, it's, it's almost like a, like a wave, but you know, it's like, almost, it's almost like a wave that goes a little bit forward and then comes back and then, you know, it's, it's, it's deciding when it wants to break. Yes. Um, because, you know, then, uh, we, we also then have this scenario where, where, um, and I'm, I'm not sure where we are in that wave, but we, to me, two, three years ago, and I think specifically around those lockdown periods and all that type of stuff, everybody right. went and said, listen, I don't, I just want to go into, into the hyperscale. I'm not even going to buy anything and, and just send it into, into the, into the, to the big guys, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, but there's also a lot of talk around companies that, went that route and it's and it's now gone and say okay, right it actually doesn't really suit our purposes so I need to I need to bring it back yes um, and that part of that can then be into a into a data center or part of it is, is no it's coming back into my office because I'm now so gun shy I'm not even gonna uh, risk that yeah um, move so, so it's, a, it's, a, it's very interesting for me and, and I mean to me what you now said around and this, uh, you know getting all of those different components or or People, uh, uh, dare I say, egos in, yes. uh, aligned is actually critical for a business. Be and and part of that also is, you know, sometimes in IT, IT likes their toys, you know. So right. um, I don't need to necessarily understand the money. I, I need to understand the technology. So the yes. when the money comes into play, then it's like, oh, flipper, you know, you know it actually the business doesn't work for the business. Um, so... On that note, then, uh, and in fact, I want to interrupt myself. Um, yes. You you spoke about uh, compliance and certifications and tiering right. and all that type of stuff. Can we just talk around what is tiering as an example, and and you know how sort of relevant is it when we make our decisions? Yeah, so tiering is, is is a standard that was was developed by the Uptime Institute many moons ago. In fact, the Uptime Institute was born out of research into what do major data centers actually look like? And out of that research, they actually categorized that, those data centers into four categories, tier one through four, where tier one was the one with the least amount of resilience and tier four was the one with the largest amount of resilience. And the resiliency factor really depends on, on, on three things, um, your connectivity, your cooling, and your power, of course. So those three things really are the, the bane of it. They are not everything. There's more to it than that. I'm, not, I'm trying to just simplify it. Yeah. And the, the relevance of that really depends on your business. So in a tier one facility, your tier one facility is very much like your, your standard computer room, okay? And uh, which just has one connection. It might not even have a UPS um, and it might not even have a generator. From there on into a tier two facility, you would be moving into possibly having a UPS and a generator. And maybe you have an alternate uh, internet connection from somewhere. Maybe it's a wireless connection um, down the street, who knows? But th that would kind of be your, your next level. In a tier three scenario, you would have 
dual pathways to everything um, and what we call um, uh, um, um, Brazilian paths or redundant paths, as people like to say. I don't like to use that word redundant in the accounting business <laughs> or HR business. It's a bit tricky. Okay, <laughs> so, so that's why I use the word resilience. Um, so in in in. In, in the tier three scenario, you would be looking at uh, multiple diverse paths. And then in the tier four facility, you would have multiple diverse paths end to end. So from supply all the way through to the end user in that way, which uh, in our country uh, until recently was quite difficult to achieve, um, mainly uh, under the auspice of obviously there only being one power utility entity, but with the development obviously of uh, photovoltaics and having access to that, that can be achieved and can actually be seen as a second power generation plant. So why have these tiers? These tiers have to do with the compliance factor and also to just um, actually just help people categorize how safe or how resilient will my, my equipment be when I actually host in this particular facility. And obviously, as you go through those various tiers, they become more and more expensive. Um, there are very few, few tier two facilities that operate as co-location providers and um, possibly very even fewer tier one facilities because what's the point? I may as well build it myself. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so so main, your main tier, mainly your tier three and tier four um, facilities are co-location providers and that's what they target at. And even in even in there, you have differentiation. So while the facility might be a tier three facility, we have straightforward co-location offerings, which means you are one cabinet in in a row of of eighteen or twenty, um, or maybe you have more. Um, but you basically co-located next to somebody else. That's why it's called co-location. Um, and then you have the, the caged environment um, as sort of an upscale to that. It doesn't change the tiering, but it does change the physical security aspect of it. So that might be a compliance requirement. Fintechs love this stuff. Um, and as far as compliance is concerned, they need their own cordoned off area usually. Um, anything in, in that type of environment, uh, even insurance companies, etc., love, love this type of thing. And then... Your next, your next step up from that, even still within the same tiering environment, would actually be what is known as a private suite. So private suite is an actual walled physical secure area that still has all the benefits of tier three, but only you have access to that place. No one else goes in there. It's your, it's your, it's your cooling um, equipment that's inside there. When I say yours, it's dedicated to to your function. When I and your, I mean obviously customer interchangeably. Yeah. Um, and and then lastly, you have the hyperscale environment where that actually becomes an actual entire facility that might just be dedicated to one customer. Like yeah, like I think like um, if if we take AWS as an example, they they build their own stuff. Correct. Apparently, they yeah. But you might like a, a, what yeah. I meant there is actually more like a Google who might consider actually even partnering with a with, with a co-location provider who then builds a data center specifically specifically for, okay. specifically for them or um, might be one of the data centers on that in that facility or in that campus. Okay. And and to me, and, 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 and again, I think this comes back to, uh, you and I had a great conversation around that where, where, where when a business then looks at what the requirements are, yes. um, sometimes, uh, you know, people – People can can require weird things where where you know because that uptime if if it's officially certified uh, by by the uptime institute you get a certificate so it's almost like a stamp of approval to say 100%. that you do this but it, it does come at a cost it's not it's comes not at, a, at a cost so so this is also one of these little things that people misunderstand so uh, you'll you'll find a lot of um, companies advertising um, that they have design certification for a facility. Design for certification means nothing because design of certification, say, all that says is uptime has gone through the actual design documents um, that the professional team has pr- uh, um, put together and has certified that if this facility is constructed exactly according to these plans, it will be tier three, four, whatever the case may be. Once the facility has been built, that design certification means nothing 
because it's kind of like um, I've, I, I have, a, I have a, a building plan for a six-story building, but I'm only building two stories, right? Yes, yeah. Okay, so the, the certification of that plan means nothing. It's still just a two-story two building. And this is not unlike that when it comes to um, co-location facilities or data centers in that context where you might have uptime certification – um, sorry, uptime um, design certification, but you haven't really fulfilled all the requirements there. Maybe you were trying, you wanted to push that into your next phase of construction, whatever the case may be, um, or um, the funds ran out, whatever the case may be. And um, and so so the facility actually is no longer a tier four, or a, a much, actually not even be a tier three as you've built it. So once that facility has been constructed, the Uptime Institute actually comes in and s certifies it as an as-built facility. They send a physical person. They send a physical person. It's quite a grueling experience. They bring in their own test equipment. It takes a number of weeks. They go and check through every nut and bolt and make sure that it actually complies with the, the um, as-designed um, documentation. So you, with Uptime, you need to require your design certification first then start construction, and once construction has been completed, then they come in and they actually verify what you have done. So, uh, and um, maybe, a, maybe a bit of a controversial question, um, because, I mean, it's obviously, when it comes uh, to a design scenario, they tell you, okay, uh, according to our standard from a resilience perspective, you need to have X amount of UPSs, X amount of diesel generators, da 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the technology is also moving now, you know, because uh, you, you can you can probably if you if you build from scratch today and and you invest in the right technology, you, you might not even need diesel generators. You might you might hundred percent right. So uh, that's why if you look at the, also uh, the the um, description um, in terms of power, it talks about stable power in in the, in, in the certification rather than prescriptively a UPS it needs to be stable power that okay. is that has been filtered. But, but that to me comes back to the business understanding what the what the what the business requirements are 100%. instead of just saying okay well give me that certificate and then so this nothing's is, ever going to break quite right so this is not unlike um, um, going to a doctor and saying to the doctor I, I have the flu give me antibiotics the doctor will say to you hang on a moment let's just sit down we need to <laughs> check your heart rate yes. and do a couple of little tests and I'll tell you what you have and then we'll treat you Correct. and this is this is the this is the problem in technology you went and spoke about it from an IT perspective IT loves to do that and I'm I think I'm allowed to say that I did that for a number of years so and I sat in that seat as well um we, IT is kind of like the millennial of the equation here um, yes. and, uh, and I can say that with, <laughs> with tongue in cheek, like having that. done that for a number of years myself. Um, but, but I think you see, the problem is, is, is business never really sits down with, um, its technology strategy team and says, what are we actually trying to achieve over the next couple of years? And business always looks at it or often looks at it in the context of saying, it's actually a grudge spend rather than understanding yes. that it's a cost center. Yeah. yeah, it's a cost center rather than understanding that business is an enabler. IT or technology, on the other hand, does that upside down where technology believes it runs the business um, and without it, um, the business wouldn't run, which comes kind of down to the conversation we had about systems. So a system has got nothing to do with technology. A system is a way of doing things. Yes. We need to understand the way of doing things. Call it workflow if you like. It's a workflow is a part of a system within the business. If we don't understand how that works, um, how are we ever going to deliver a service that's going to support it? You know. So business and technology need to have that conversation. Well, rather, when I say technology, IT need to have that conversation. And this is an age-old challenge when the business has grown to a point where it's actually relying on its internal IT team to help it make the decision into the future. But the internal IT team isn't equipped for that, not because um, of any other reason, but because they've been sitting in that comfort zone for however long. Experience, uh, exposure, whatever you right. want to call it. And you actually need to bring in some lateral experience there. Um, call it a consultant, if you like, um, or whatever. Um, just someone who's actually been sitting on that side of the fence to understand what it is that business does. Mm. And in years gone by, we've seen these problems where where cons consultants, and that's also a swear word in the South African context in particular. Yeah, yeah. 
consultant comes in and he does a whole conversation with all the different people at all the different levels, issues a nice little document, and, and it's not exactly what the, what the actual uh, um, sponsor of that document originally wanted to see, um, and it disappears into a drawer. Um, it's only the advice is only as good as those who follow it, obviously. Yes. And this comes back to the whole analogy of the doctor earlier as well. We need to really understand what the business is trying to achieve. So the other challenge that you brought into the conversation as well is that one thing we do know that over time, things are going to become a lot more compact, which means physically we might need a lot less space. But the output is the output. The calculations um, on a CPU require a certain amount of clock cycles, which require a certain amount of power, which will make a certain amount or generate a certain amount of heat. Yes. We'll never get away from that. Correct. However small we make it. Okay. What we do know is that now suddenly where we used to have three and five kilowatts, we're now trailing somewhere more into the region of 18 and 22 kilowatts per cabinet. Um, that type of heat load is excessive for facilities that have been constructed as plain co-location facilities, if I can name it that. Yes. Here's your stock standard co-location facility. And the, also companies who are looking at actually constructing their own facilities to um, as co-location providers – um, actually missed that point as well and failed to identify their target market in this, in, in this context too um, because they don't understand what their customer is actually requiring and whom they're offering services to. They think we'll just build a data center, put a couple of UPSs in, some generators, make it look pretty, some great cabinets, great marketing, etc. And now suddenly someone rocks up and says, mm, I'd like to be able to have 25 kilowatts in the cabinet. And they go, well, we only designed for three kilowatts. And then it becomes so you can split your twenty five over, <laughs> over over eight cabinets, right, or, or six cabinets. So 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 this becomes a huge a huge challenge. And unless unless this has been defined up front, and obviously mm. because technology is moving so fast, it's difficult to pinpoint these things down. It comes back to the conversation of flexibility. So you have two people. You have the people that are building the facilities to try and accommodate those people that don't want to build them. And you have those people who want to move into facilities that don't understand anything about them. And how do these two meet with each other? And this is where this, this disjunct between technology um, and business comes in every time. You actually need to sit down and, 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 and thresh that out. How, how are we going to grow? Because every, every sales target, every business target that we make, every marketing um, campaign that we run has an effect on this chain. Correct. It goes all the way down to the supporting infrastructure. But but that was that was part of the reason why I really loved the previous conversation that we had around this. Because like, you, you know, when a, when a customer starts a conversation by saying, I need this certificate or that, this, or, or they, then I already, I already get nervous because I go like, but why is that important to you? 100%. Can you explain to me? So, so, so and, and the way that you, exp that you now unpack the role of this um, consultant um, does the same thing as, as uh, uh, I think, in a more constructive way than, than necessarily that piece of paper that, that gives you that, uh, you know, the stamp of approval to say, yeah, but, you know, we, we can't get better than that, so… No, it's 100% right. It's, it's the same conversation as saying I actually need to go to an ENT specialist um, when, in fact, you just need a GP. Okay, yeah. So for I'm talking about a general doctor versus going to a specialist doctor. Um, you know, let's first understand what the problem is. And mm. you go from there to the next level. You don't immediately dive into the end of this conversation. And this is the big, this is the big challenge is businesses don't actually know and, are, and struggle to predict themselves how big and how far they're going to grow. Some of the most disparate systems that, 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 that we've seen um, as Calabaretics have actually been some of the larger businesses, um, purely because they've grown in, into every which way and direction. And it's been a case of kind of like, you know, the, the problem of the backyard dweller at the home. You just, you just put another hockey on, if you yes. know what I'm saying. Yes. And, um, and what we do know in IT, anything that is temporary becomes permanent. Okay, it's never fixed. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay, so this, we, we know this from, from you know, we, ah, uh, sysadmin just quickly popped down into the data center and they just quickly patched from this port to that port. That patch, patch lead is going to stay there forever. forever. Yeah. Unless you have a process to ensure that that patch lead has a, has a time limit. It's a 24-hour time limit and if he doesn't take that out, I will walk in there with my side cutter and I will cut it. And it'll be his problem. 
Okay, I'm being facetious here, but but these are these are the these are the challenges inside of business as well. Understanding that, and unfortunately, you know, we like to say that um, there are those people that if they don't know, you can't tell them, and this is very often a problem inside um, in inside of existing teams and teams that have been uh, in existence for a very long time inside an organization, and. They, they feel threatened because it's totally out of their comfort zone. They don't know what a data center is. They don't know what co-location is necessarily. Mm. And they need to make this leap. So as consultants, we have to be sensitive to understanding and, 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 and showing them that we're not here to rob you of your job or to make you look silly. We're here to actually help you. You're going to continue doing what you're doing. You're just going to do it even better. And um, that's, a big, that's a big thing. So, so on, that, on that note... Um, a, uh, what would what are the typical the the common mistakes that people make when they when they decide to go into a DC? I think you you touched on some of them um, now. So 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 not defining your business and your and and your and your growth projections correctly. I mean, I, I I wonder um, how many people go go into a co-location facility even knowing what what the power requirements are. It's true. Eh? So I know you're 100% right. In fact, often some of the co-location providers come out and actually help the business understand what their power consumption is. Um, it's a pure, purely a self-preservation thing because they don't they don't actually know. So that's not uncommon actually. Um, and uh, it's sort of a little bit of a pre-sales routine that is done there just to, to obviously help the customer make that transition. So common mistakes is really understanding your business and your in your business trajectory in that sense and what effect that is going to have on the equipment you're going to be storing in that co-location facility. And also understanding, I remember many moons back um, where we where we actually started um, doing mass storage and um, we purchased equipment ahead of time knowing that we were building a data center um, and this was a, an in-house facility. Um, and in that process, Unfortunately, it took a little longer to complete the facility because there were some challenges with the construction and landlord, etc. Six or eight months went by and the equipment that we then purchased was actually out of date by the time it came to install. Now, back then we were talking about, I think it was four or five terabytes worth of storage only. <laughs> okay. Well, you can almost fit that on a, on a thumbnail drive these yes, days. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so we had to then suddenly make a, uh, make a very quick decision and actually look at the technology that was out there. And in fact, the provider that, was, that came to our aid at the time uh, was in the years of when iSCSI had just, just launched, um, which was a way better technology than the fiber-attached connections that, that we originally had with all these, anyway, um, HPCs and what have you. And um, long story short, this provider actually came in, purchased, our, purchased or bought back the his competitor's equipment, put his equipment in, gave us an, uh, almost doubled our storage capacity and gave us the new technology. Now, obviously, they were obviously looking to get a foot in the door and this company is still running with this, with this provider today or until recently, I should rather say. Um, but my, the point I'm making with this is you need to understand that advancement. And so we come back. And, and like you said now, six months can be like that. Absolutely. And then, it's, and then it's outdated. And it's totally outdated. And here you are, you've invested in all this equipment. So these are the other advantages inside of data centers, uh, co-location facilities. You, you can get hardware as a service that is offered by some of the big uh, blue chip companies um, where you are actually just buying clock cycles uh, and storage space. Um, they actually rent that equipment and it's, it's almost like a hosted environment, mm. but it's not a hosted environment if you follow what I'm saying. Uh, it's purely on the hardware side. So they do for, um, let's call it server infrastructure and storage infrastructure, what co-location facilities do for cabinets. Um, as these these you will not necessarily find for people who have their own facilities unless you are doing like a, a funded scenario um, and you're paying it off over five years with a buyback, etc. That's, that's the next closest you can get to something like this, which means maybe the next step is actually moving into a cloud environment. Okay? And this is where people start to get very nervous because nobody really understands it. Yeah. I think yeah. all that people know about the cloud is something up there, <laughs> like right? <this. laughs> yeah, exactly like these clouds, yeah. <laughs> so so in, in that context, people need to understand that unless they're able to define their own business and actually do that work, 
they are going to run into problems going down the line with data centers. Comes to the next question, you said, so what are those mistakes? Mistakes are made hosting too few cabinets, maybe not maybe not um, reserving cabinets, knowing that in two or three years' time you're actually going to expand and suddenly ending up in that second data center elsewhere um, on the same property, but it now becomes a nightmare to manage these two facilities because they are meters apart from each other, um, which kind of goes back to what you originally had yourself. Now you've introduced risk in a premium facility. So and then you blame do you then it's the facilities making my life difficult. 100% because the problem because they're not giving us a cabinet, right? So there's that connectivity is another thing. Um you know understanding the type of connectivity needs you have because not all facilities offer the same type of connectivity and in doing your research properly in terms of understanding the actual resilience that that facility has had. It's all good and well that the facility might have been certified as a tier three facility. It was built yesterday. It has absolutely zero operational track record. Yes. So, um, unless you know the unless you know the business, and it's and it is one of the larger providers that has done this and duplicated this over time, you could actually be getting yourself into some very very hot water there. Access to the facility is another big thing. You know, twenty four hour access to the facility in terms yes. of emergency uh, uh, maintenance and, and 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 management of equipment. Um, you know, if it doesn't help you have this wonderful um, security environment and it takes you two hours to get in there and you haven't um, made an appointment beforehand and by the time you get inside yeah. there is another four hours that have passed and the business is suffering as a result. So these are things you need to look at and understand, you know, and what are the processes for quick access and that type of thing. So that's those are some of the bigger mistakes with moving into, into co-location facilities. Mistakes in terms of building are even worse. <laughs> so where companies have decided they will be building their own facilities, they've never ever managed a data center as it were. They've managed computer rooms and think it's the same thing. It's not unlike managing an SME versus managing an enterprise. Mm. It is exactly the same thing. The complexities are insane. And you it's exponential, have, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you and you have you need to have proper processes and procedures in place to understand this. And if you've never done that before, you're actually just setting yourself up for failure. Never mind the capital element of it. So um, we uh, this is this is definitely one of my longer episodes, and I feel like we we're only getting started. Um, I think we're definitely going to have another one. Um, the this strategy that you that you spoke about now where we're getting them the all of the children of the household together to, right. to map out the strategy how, how often should it be reviewed so it again it, and and like all good consultants I will tell you it depends um, <laughs> <laughs> largely on your budget no, <laughs> but no what it depends on really is obviously the type of industry you're in if you're in an FMCG type environment and turnover is huge and you, you're getting new products all the time and you need to update all various um, lists and stuff like that you might find that that growth uh, you need to do it every six months at least because you, you're onboarding and offloading customers the whole time correct but if you if you um, in a, in like an SME type environment, probably every twelve months would make sense. But that sit down is not one of sitting down and actually going. So what do you think? It's more of a sit down um, first on an executive level to understand where you want to be taking the business. Yeah, you don't start with technology in mind. If we keep parking technology in the category of it is an enabler, we will never let the technology drive the business. And we will never look at technology as a grudge spend because we will actually be understanding where we are spending our dollars. And if and 12 months goes like this. Absolutely. Eh? I mean, it's so quick. Before you've even blinked, it's over. So, so what I'm saying is from an executive level, that needs to, that needs to inform mid-management so that you can then bring those teams together, then feed back up to executive management. And that might require a second cycle where you need to sit down, where you actually bring in your, your technology teams and sit down with the executive team to explain what this is. And this is where we find huge challenges, um, not just in the SME, SME market, but mainly actually in the, in the mid-tier um, company sizes. So let's call them corporates and even in, entry-level enterprise-level customers. Why? Because people are afraid to speak their minds because it comes down to job security, it comes yes. down to these type of things. Um, possibly um, people don't 
trust what their own internal staff are telling them as well, which is where actually bringing in a consulting role um, is very helpful as long as it's brought in with the right intention. The consultant can never write a strategy for you. The consultant is there to help you ask the right questions. It's almost like the the psychologist, the, the marriage counselor, I would imagine. Yes. So no, I, like um, that analogy. I say imagine, imagine because I have never had to go to marriage counseling. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, but uh, <laughs> but um, the point is uh, that I'm making here is 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 you need actually a a a, um, a mediator between the the. A business side, a pure business side, and then you also have the executive business side because you then have the operational side that comes with it, and obviously the technology side. And unless you can ask the right questions and draw that out of the various teams, yes. um, you're going to have those challenges. And that's where this the consulting role is very helpful. A very underestimated um, um, and uh, often scoffed at role within within the South African context we find. And and look, we we speak about it uh, on the show often, um, but I think the the days of the Chuck Norris of IT where you can just do everything <laughs> is 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 so, over. You know, so there's uh, there's uh, very very spe- specialist uh, roles and and getting a consultant with the relevant background that can come and just plug that or bridge that gap for you. Yes. Like you say, ask the right questions based on experience because you've seen the movie. Uh, I mean, to me, it makes so much sense. And and, and again, it's, it's um, you know, we we want to get to the end result as quickly as possible. So who's, who's the best person that can help me do that so instead of uh, learning on my own? That's 100% right, Jack, because one of the things that we also, we often say to customers when we get into these type of conversations is, it actually be, it's actually this simple. What does one hour of downtime cost your business? And how, how many people can answer that question? Very few, but some can. So, and that is that is the lowest level of cost that you should be willing to spend to um, come into a predictive type environment. So most of the businesses operate in a reactive type environment where they're just plugging holes as they go. Mm, some mm. people, some some customers are in in in, in sort of um, you know sort of the, the mid tier side where they where they you know uh, uh, um, making preparations and so on and um, preempting things. Um, but very few are in a predictive environment where they are actually following their own strategy. And I'm not talking about those where the strategy has changed because of macro and micro influences in the market. Mm. I'm talking about those that are actually following their strategy. So, and I think for me, that's where I want to leave it today is I think the, the to me, the, the one key question that every business, um, I don't even want to say owner or exec. Uh, I think even a, any employee in a in a business should should be cognizant of the fact what what will that one hour of downtime cost him. If if you can answer that question, then it means that at least you've thought about it properly. Hundred percent. Nils, thank you very much. We're definitely going to do this more. Thank you, Jaco. Thank you for listening to Unbundled, uh, a series brought to you by Catalytic. Um, to help you understand how technology can make your business better. Remember that you can listen to the episode on the Cliff Central Apple website. And for added convenience, you can listen on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you uh, listen. And if you're looking for assistance with communications tools in your business, please make sure to visit catalytic.co.za. Cliffcentral.com